Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Previously on Dead Rabbit Radio. Yeah, big, huge crowd. Yeah, yeah, Jason, Jason, Jason. Bunch of people, bunch of people yelling. And then me at a podium standing there going, People, people of America, you have a choice today. We could have another four years of President Jeb Bush. Boo, 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 boo. Don't boo me, boo him. Everyone turns, boos out the door. Yeah, he's out, he's outside the arena right now. Okay, turn back, turn back over here. Or four years, possibly eight, of President Carter. Can't even finish my sentence. Everyone's cheering. It's kind of loud in here. So Secret Service guy, give me some earplugs. There we go. And then out in the crowd, a weirdo, a dude, is walking around with a big old gun. <laughs> they didn't see it. It was bring a gun to the, the speech day. Bad planning on my part. Guys walking through. Everyone has guns, but this guy looks particularly weird. And then it cuts to we're looking through the 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 scope, the scope, and I'm running for president. <laughs> if you haven't got the gimmick yet, I'm running for president in an alternate universe. And then <laughs> get shot. Blood's shooting out of my body. <laughs> Look over at my wife, Britney Spears. You were supposed to be first lady, but you'll always be first lady to me. And then, flying through the quantum realm. And then I'm sitting, I'm sitting in an apartment, a messy apartment. What? Oh, man, I was just about to to run for president, and I was going to beat President Jeb Bush. But here I am, doing episode 400 of Dead Rabbit Radio, which I have to say is probably a lot more fun than trying to run the United States amidst... A horrible, possibly horrible virus going on. And and now this episode, that was previously on Dead Rabbit. So the gimmick, uh, you get it. This episode of Dead Rabbit Radio, <coughs> as I battle the coronavirus myself, I brought it from the alternate universe. Mm, and that's actually interesting. Before I get, I should just start the episode, but it is interesting. What if the diseases like this virus, this virus are actually brought you know how like uh, you know like Europeans like showed up and like was spreading diseases everywhere. What if coronavirus is from a time traveler? Let's go ahead and actually do the intro here. That that is that is non-related. That that okay. Here we go. Here's the intro. It's the 400th episode. I'm allowed to break the limit a bit. A cryptid in Argentina that may be the most unusual one we've ever discussed. And then we travel to La Crosse, Wisconsin, to investigate a horrific crime. Was this crime committed by a madman, 
or was it committed by a demon who lives in the mirror? Today on the 400th episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. 400th episode, season 9. Can you believe it? Can you believe? I mean, I believe it. I visualized this all along, but at the same time, when you get here, you're like 400 episodes. This is awesome. Thank you guys so much for being on this ride. I know I totally flubbed that intro. I think that might be the longest intro I've ever had. But yeah, that that's we can start that as a new conspiracy theory. What if diseases we don't have cures for are actually brought from time travelers or people from other dimensions? I wonder, I, I, that, that might be an up-and-coming conspiracy theory. Make a new iceberg. Put that on it. The coronavirus was brought to us by a time traveler or someone from another dimension. Now, speaking of someone from another dimension, I don't know. He could actually live here. I want to say thanks to our newest Patreon, Gun of Liberty 00. Thank you very much, Gun, for supporting the show. Really, really helps out a lot. I love it when you guys do this. And if you can't support the Patreon... You can always get the word out about the show. We got flyers at deadrabbit.com. You can print out, pass those out, just spread the word. Really, really helps a lot. Everything helps out a lot. Let's, so I really appreciate that. Now, first off, we are going to Argentina. So let's give Gun of Liberty 00 the keys to the Carpenter Copter. You're going to fly us out to Argentina. So why Argentina? Normally, there's not a why. Normally, I just find I'm not always like, why Russia? Normally, we just go out to where the stories are, but if you follow me on Twitter at at DeadRabbitRadio, at DeadRabbitRadio on Twitter, you'll already know this. This show is huge in Argentina. It's it's weird. Now, I said, oh, I always visualized my going 400, 600, 800 episodes. I never thought the show would be worldwide, right? I figured it would have a pretty dedicated audience in the United States, maybe a little bit in Europe, but the show, 60% of it's United States. We got a huge fan base across the world. Argentina is one of the fastest countries for podcast, just overall podcast growths. And Dead Rabbit Radio in our category, which is a pretty general category, it's called personal journals. So This American Life, TED Talks, Logan Paul's podcast is in this. Dead Rabbit Radio for one day was number one in Argentina in our category. And you go, okay, (laughs) anyone can be number one, fluke. We're in the top 20. We've been in the top 20 for the past three, four weeks in Argentina. So that's huge. We're beating Logan Paul in Argentina. We're beating TED Talk in Argentina. And when I, when I look at the other podcasts in Argentina, most of them are Spanish, which is what would be assumed, right? But this dude in the U.S. talking about, uh, what do I talk about? Monsters and like debunking UFOs or, or being, believing in UFOs <laughs> depends on the story. Sometimes I totally believe it in. And the other times I'm like, that's the dumbest story I've ever heard is beating out Logan Paul. Now I don't have a problem personally with Logan Paul. <laughs> that's not going to be on my gravestone that I beat Logan Paul at something, but I just find it very, very interesting. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to thank my fans in Argentina who really have consistently kept this show in the top 20. So, Gun, fly us out to Argentina. And I'm thinking, dude, we've done so many stories in South America. So many cryptids and legends and all sorts of stuff. So when I started researching cryptids in Argentina, I learned a very valuable lesson. 
not every country has do- <laughs> not every country has dope cryptids. So so let's just be real. <laughs> let's just be real. You know how they say Eskimos have thirty different words for snow. I don't know if that's true, but people say that. Argentina has thirty different words for a giant sloth. Now, I, right now, there's there's a bunch of people in Argentina laughing at that joke. Everyone else is like, "What?" There, I found a website. It was all of the Argentinian cryptids. They're all they're all they're all just giant sloths. It would be like this giant creature walking through the woods attacked three chickens and a farmer ran it off with a broom or something and then it'd be like people believe it was a giant sloth i'm like oh okay, that's kind of lame and then it'll be like in this other region near the foot of the andes mountains there's a giant eight foot tall creature that was beating up a donkey one day and a farmer came out and like shot a gun up in the air and it ran away and then then it'd be like people believe this is a giant sloth it's all giant sloths down there which you're going jason giant sloths are extinct that's a cryptid right why are you making fun of giant sloth here's the thing yes yes you're right if a creature is not recognized by science or was supposed to be extinct that is the definition of a cryptid but then there's another definition of a cryptid which is the mainstream definition of cryptid which is a monster right like if there's a you it should be able it should be able to get you and there's nothing less threatening than a sloth chasing you it's all uh, and like, what do you, you're like, oh no, I just have to simply stand far, I'm gonna, you just walk slowly, walk around a fence, uh, it's all giant sloths, it's so many giant sloths down there, now, and then I started to think, maybe that's why they like this podcast so much, because they're like, whoa, other parts of the world have like UFO sightings and these big old monsters running around, you got skinwalkers walking around Oregon, this sounds awesome. And here I am in Argentina, and the scariest movie I saw recently was, like, Attack of the Sloths. Which, actually, I just looked out my window and just saw a bunch of things. I think there's just regular sloths down there, too, so that's even less interesting. Like, Bigfoot's not interesting in the jungle, because there's a, a real gorillas walking around. Bigfoot's interesting in places where there are no gorillas. If, there, if there's regular sloths in Argentina... Who cares if there's a giant sloth down there? But anyways, let's look at some of their other ones. So we're not going to trash Argentina all day long. But you got, I don't know if it's like a cultural thing. Well, actually, I do have a suspicion. But let me go on with this. Here's some other things they have. They have this thing called the Ukamar. It's a giant bear that runs around. Some people do think that that's actually a giant sloth. But the Ukamar is a massive bear or sloth, depending on the researcher. There's the Jewy Jewy. It's a plant. It's a cryptid plant. I actually had an episode, I don't know if I ever recorded it, honestly, about plant man-eating plants. Did I record that one? Anyways, I probably don't remember it because it was boring. Like, the idea of getting eaten by a plant is pretty interesting, but not not really. I mean, I guess if I had my choice between being digested by a plant or being killed by a giant sloth, I would take the plant just because, you know, that would be a more novel way to die. But they're again, they're both super slow. I'm like, oh no, this plant. And you just walk a couple feet away, and it's like a uh, the Jewy Jewy apparently shoots out pollen. Makes you fall which is that's not a superpower. All plants do that, but makes you fall asleep and then it sucks your blood out. There was this thing called the Phantasma de los Riscos, which means, if it's pronounced correctly, means the ghost of the Badlands. You're like, oh, that sounds dope. I found two references to it. They both said the exact same thing. It's a naked man who just yells all the time. 
It's not a cryptid if it's happening right now in Oakland, California. It's not a cryptid if there's thousands of naked men as you're listening to this walking around yelling. Possibly one within, like, he, you can might be able to hear them depending how close you are to a major metropolitan city. These aren't cryptids. They're called homeless people. Now, maybe if there was another element, like, not only did he, not only was he naked and did he yell a lot, but he, like, flew around then yeah, sure, that's impressive, but just a naked guy walking through the middle of nowhere yelling? What? Anyways, all of that leads up to this, because, and let me go back, so the thing that I noticed with all of these cryptids in Argentina, which this was an interesting note, they're all believable. Like, Bigfoot, sure, the idea that there's a giant, like, missing link or ape monster walking around, America or, you know, the Himalayas or something like that, that in itself is interesting. But the idea that it can bury its dead or maybe it turns invisible or it can it has all these special powers, that's ridiculous. Mothman, it's fanciful. Melon heads are fanciful. Pomberos are fanciful. All these other cryptids and spirits and stuff like that, they cross the border between a mythological, they have some sort of magical power, or they're just like a monkey. Just like a big old monkey man walking around. The thing about Argentina is all of their cryptids are believable. They're all, except even the plant, I guess, could, could, could conceivably have something to it. But there's nothing the equivalent of a mothman, at least that I saw of like a mothman type creature or an embunche, which I believe that was in Chile. All of them are like, this is a, this bear is supposed to be extinct, it's still walking around. This giant sloth is supposed to be extinct, it's still walking around. This wolf, this weird looking wolf should be extinct, it's still walking around. All of their cryptids are scientifically plausible. And that's where we get to this cryptid that I did want to highlight, which is something I've never seen before in all of my years of researching this. So fire back up that carpenter copter gun. We're headed off to Germany. Now we're coming back to Argentina, but let's go... All the way up to Germany. The year is 1992, and we're going to meet this dude. His name is Michael Scrotal. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that name, because if I'm not, he should have changed it, right? Will you be Mrs. Scrotal? I love you, but I'm not going to be that name. Anyways, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Scrotal, Michael Scrotal, he's the curator. Tell me if this isn't a, isn't a job that you're going to bag a bunch of chicks doing. He's the curator. Not like that. Not like every job you should have is with the intent of getting a girlfriend. However, if your last name is Scrotal, you need all the help you can get. He really should have been like a ultimate fighting championship warrior or whatever. The American Gladiator, except he was in Germany. Something. Rather than this. He was the curator of the Mollusk Collection. So he was in charge of all of the snails at the Bavarian State Collection of Zoology in Munich, Germany. Imagine bringing a girl to that workplace. She was like, oh, no, 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 I don't collect snails. I'm in charge of the people who collect snails. She's like, it's still gross. He's like, escargot, madame. She's like, no. It's just, you're just eating exhibits. Mm, this is a fossilized snail. The snail's 65 million years old. <laughs> Swallowing it up. Do you know they sell escargot at Walmart? Have you ever gone into, like, the oyster aisle? Yeah, there's other stuff there. There's, like, tuna, cans of tuna. And then there's oysters, and then they sell escargot, and it's like, it's so bizarre. There's a, it's a set. So you get a giant, you can tell I'm easily distracted this episode. This is going to be episode 400, the easily distracted one. I drink a bunch of coffee. I actually went for a really long walk. Like, today's been a great day. Like, I'm so glad that we're starting episode 400 today. I had a great week off, great day, and again, I really, really appreciate you guys enjoying the show. Anyways, let's get back to this other side segment. 
There's a jar full of empty snail shells, and then there's a can underneath it, and you open it up, and there's a bunch of snails in it, and you put them... Ugh, ugh, gross, dude. Anyways, you can buy escargot at Walmart. <laughs> Why you would want to? I don't know. I, I'd eat gas station sushi before I'd eat escargot from Walmart. But what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, this dude. So he's the curator of the mollusk, the mollusk collection. Hey, baby, my name's Mr. Scrotal. Would you like to come look at my snails? I'm sure the guy is totally awesome. Honestly, I shouldn't be bagging on him. I'm sure he's an awesome dude. But I don't know. Maybe he's a jerk. So anyways, anyways he's in charge of this group. <laughs> Probably single man, young single man. He's attending a lecture of something called the Salinella Solve. Salinella Solve. And what it is, he's at this lecture and with a bunch of other nerds, and there's a slideshow, and they're like, we have this record that this dude named Johannes Frenzel, also this German dude, back in 1892, got sent a salt sample from a buddy in Argentina. And everyone's like, ooh, ooh, that's so fascinating. My life is totally devoid of all meaning that I find that fascinating. And he starts showing these slides, and he goes, Johan is a very well-respected scientist, right? He all he had all these drawings, and he goes underneath the microscope. He discovered these little creatures, and it's a single. It's like a it's like a little tiny microscopic dude, right? It's like a little amoeba. What you picture an amoeba, but it has a mouth and a butthole. Everyone's like, "What? What? What in the world?" Everyone's gossiping amongst each other because this was new. We've seen single cell creatures, and we've seen more complex creatures, but. Looking at one that's in between, the missing link between single-cell amoebas and more complex dudes with digestion systems, people were like, whoa, this is, this is groundbreaking. Now, in 1892, he published these drawings, and people were like, oh, it's kind of cool. But as time, you would figure you, you were going to find these all over the place. I guess dinosaurs weren't discovered until, like, the mid-1800s. It's weird to think. Up until, like, 1850, nobody even conceived of a dinosaur. And now they're such a part of pop culture and modern science and stuff like that. But anyways, anyways, so they figured, ah, there's probably just a bunch of these dudes. So, Johan, whatever, you've got these drawings. But in the year 1992, they had never seen anything like that since. So, uh, Michael goes, let's go, we gotta look at these things for ourselves. We gotta find some of this salt. So, they go out to Argentina to go to this salt flat where he gets these dudes, him and a bunch of guys go out to the road trip out to Argentina, and there's no more salt field there where this stuff came from. It's cattle grazing land. They're like, what? And then they go, if this is real, because again, they, at one hand, people are thinking this is made up. Like, if this was actually found, it would have been huge news back then. But then other people are going like, why would he fake it? Like, this is a well-respected guy. He reported it. He continued his career. It wasn't like he was walking around talking about Bigfoot, but an amoeba Bigfoot. But technically, that's what this was. It was a cryptid. It was a microscopic missing link. But Michael goes, okay, if this is real, it has to be around here somewhere. So they begin looking around for other salt flats in the area. And they find it and they test it over and over and over again. Nothing. So this is what's interesting about this story. And it kind of plays in. This is a cryptid. And it's a microscopic cryptid. That existed in a time, and then where it existed, got destroyed. Completely, as far as we know, obliterating that life form. Because it was around and moving in 1892. And then it was turned into a pasture for cows to eat on. And I find that fascinating because, one, you think, 
when we look back to stories of the classic stories of the Bigfoot that you had, like the natives in America were like, oh yeah, there's some dude walking around, he's a big old Bigfoot. And the settlers coming out there and them being like, oh, there's a big monster walking around, the big old Bigfoot. But then the stories today may be less true or just made up because they're the same thing with the buffalo. People are just blasting these things or they're like, I'm out of here. And they're walking further up north and they're like, ah, it's too cold and they freeze to death. All of these cryptids could exist in some area. A Loch Ness monster could have been real in the 1600s, but someone killed it or just was like, I'm out of here. Apparently that's what cryptids do. They're just like, ah, too many people. But you know what I mean? This might give us an idea that cryptids could have existed at a certain point. What we perceive as monsters could have existed, but then simply they're, they may be more real than we give them credit for. The Bigfoot of it walking around, disappearing, going other dimensions, piloting spaceships, so that's an upcoming story. That stuff could all be fanciful. The idea that, that 100, 200 years back, there were Bigfoot creatures in America that simply left. Their environment was destroyed. People pushed them out. People were building houses. Too much travel. Bigfoot's like, eh, me leave now. Me go to, to Himalayas. And then he's like, ah, no places here. And then he goes to Australia. And that's the, yeah, I don't know. Now he's basically where in the world is Carmen San Diego. My point is, is that. It's interesting because Argentina has the more realistic cryptids. And here we have one that probably did exist that got just destroyed because someone wanted to put a farm there. So to this day, there is a debate in the community. Were these things real? Like, did the guy actually observe these? Did a reputable science scientist observe these and sketch them? Or did you just make it up like any other cryptid story? So that is, our, I, I think he probably, I think they're probably real. I think that's the most logical thing. And I think that could, you could even go to stories about like elves and gnomes. There could have been these people in these areas that just got wiped out as human migration. The the superior species began moving across the, uh, I mean, imagine you were a gnome and like you lived in a mushroom and then some dude came and plowed it over and started planting wheat. You're kind of boned, right? You can't go to like city council and get it rezoned mushroom zone. You got to leave. So that could be, that's an extreme example. I'm sure if a gnome walked into city council, people would be like, dude, we will let you do whatever, just give us your gold. And he's like, that's a leprechaun, and I'm offended. But it, maybe we're just encroaching on cryptid territory. Now, I do have to say this. I don't. I do have some other Argentine stories coming up. I have a conspiracy one, kind of a mystery one, a true crime one. It's kind of cool. But anyways, let's go ahead, though, and move on to our next story. So, everyone, let's go ahead and leave Argentina. Again, Argentina, thank you so much for supporting the show. The entire country is behind us. We're so we're doing so well over there. Take us up, Gun of Liberty Zero Zero. And as we're flying away, we notice that Gun has like a little a little satchel. And he looks over at us teary-eyed, and we're like, dude, what's just why don't you just fly the helicopter? Quit getting all teary-eyed emotional. And he's like, I collect I mine my great grandfather was Michael Scrotal. And you made fun of my name, and here's my long-descendant snail people. So we're saying goodbye to Argentina. We're saying goodbye to the mollusk mollusk collector, Michael Scrotal. And we're taking off. And and we are flying out to La Crosse, Wisconsin. Now, this story here... Let me just tell the story, and then I'll get into it. It's May 24th, 2005, in La Crosse, Wisconsin. And now we're walking down the street, and we see a house. And in this house is a man named, also unfortunately named, Matthew Balzer... (laughs) 
Matthew Balls Rena. Matthew Balls Rena. He's 21 years old. Now, I did not think of these two names. I did not think of Balls and Scrotal while I was putting these two stories together. Matthew Balls Rena. <laughs> Poor guy. He's 21 years old. And he's staying in a, at a friend's house in La Crosse, Wisconsin. He's trying to raise money to go to Florida. He has big plans. 21 years old. You got big plans when you're 21. You should have big plans when you're 81. You should never stop having plans. That's what keeps you going. But when you're 21, the world is your oyster. The, your, the world is your sack. And for Balls Arena, he was ready to just get on in it and bounce around. Analogy makes no sense, but you get the joke. I hope. So anyways, Balls Arena is hanging out. Now it's the morning of the 24th, May 24th. He tells a friend of his, there's a, there's a demon. There's a demon. And I think he's going to get me to kill somebody. Now, here's the thing. You're 21 years old. This guy's a drug user. He smokes weed. People are tryhards. People, it's funny because there's different, as me being 43 years old, if a friend of mine, who 21-year-old kid come up to me that I know pretty well, and says, I think there's a demon trying to make me kill somebody, as a 43-year-old, I would say, you probably should talk to someone about this. Like, well, you can talk to me, (laughs) assuming uh, I might keep this crucifix near me. But we can have a talk, but I would talk to him and figure stuff out and then go, we might want to go talk to somebody else. Like, let's go down to the hospital and, or let's go to a church that actually is out of the hospital. He's like, hey, I see the steeple off in the distance. Yeah, yeah, let's go to the hospital first. I uh, forgot something there. And anyways, get him treated. When you're 21 and one of your friends, you know, I'm smoking weed, you're smoking weed. We're listening to some, you know, like chronic 2001, smoking weed. The dude on the couch next to me is like, I, I think that, <coughs> I think there's a demon trying to get me to kill somebody. I'm just going to be like, I'm going to think, what a try hard. This guy's such a dork. Oh, yeah. <coughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, yeah, sure, buddy. I might humor him a bit, but I probably don't care. I probably just figure he's being a try hard. So I get that the friend did nothing. Balls Arena. Talking about a demon trying to get and murder somebody. Probably not the first time he brought it up. Whatever. But obviously, you know, this story is from 2005. We're covering this 15 years later. This wasn't just all talk. Later that morning, he goes to his best friend's house in town. And he had borrowed a slow cooker from his best friend and his best friend's girlfriend, Sarah Dobbs. She's 23 years old. And Matthew is like, oh, I'm going to return this slow cooker. And probably just hang out, smoke a little more weed. You know, why not? I'm 21. He shows up at his best friend's house, and Sarah Dobbs is there alone. And she goes, do you want to go in the back, smoke some weed? And he's like, yeah, sh- what? Why- I didn't plan on it. I don't know, I'm not wearing my weed-smoking shoes, but sure, why not? So they go into the back bedroom, and Sarah and Matthew are smoking weed. Everything's relaxed. It's mid-morning. which is actually the perfect time to be smoking weed, honestly. And Sarah looks over at Matthew and goes, can I tell you something? <sighs> Thinking about breaking up with my boyfriend. Now, Matthew gets really upset by this. Because that's his best friend. And for whatever reason she told... I'm assuming Sarah and Matthew are good friends as well. Because if my significant other's best friend is sitting in front of me, I'm not going to tell them I'm thinking about breaking up with my girl, right? But if we were also really good friends, I may figure that our friendship 
we'll at least keep that secret. There's also the possibility, and I remember when I read the story back in 2005, because I remember reading it, I remember I was telling other people about the story. I find the story absolutely fascinating, and my friend Steve goes, I bet you she liked Matthew. I bet you that Sarah liked Matthew, and that's why she felt comfortable saying that. Like, I'm thinking about breaking up with my boyfriend. The implication is to be with you. And it was weird, because I told Steve, I go, I had the exact same feeling. that, she, But we don't know. We don't know, but that I think that Rita story makes what comes next truly horrific. But for whatever reason, she admits to Matthew that she wants to break up with his best friend. And again, I kind of get the feeling that the implication was, let's go into this back bedroom, let's smoke weed, I want to break up with my boyfriend, dot, 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 to be with you. Those words are never spoken, but that's the read I got on it. However, Matthew, this is back to the actual story, that the facts that we know, Matthew gets upset. But he doesn't show it. He doesn't show it that Sarah's going to break up with his best friend. He's getting to him, but he gets up and he goes into the bathroom and he's f- freaking out. Like, not like, oh no, no, no. Like, really, really mad. Furious that this girl was going to betray his best friend. He's just washing his hands. <laughs> washing his hands with soap. <laughs> How you normally wash your hands? Water's running, it's hot, it's burning his hands. He's stoned, though, he doesn't care. He's just thinking, stupid girl, saying bad words that Jason's not going to repeat on the podcast. And then he looks in the mirror and sees the demon. This demon's name, according to Matthew, is Sozuto. And it's looking at him through the mirror. Sozuto is staring at him. And he begins to speak. She's bogus. She's trying to screw your boy over. And Matthew's just staring at this demon face, looking in the mirror. Matthew feels something enter his body. (laughs) Everything tenses up. He's in the passenger seat now in his own body. And he walks out into the bedroom. Sarah is just sitting there, taking another hit. And Matthew walks up and punches her right in the face, hits her right in the eye, and she falls to the ground. And he begins screaming at her. How could you betray him? How could you betray him? And begins just punching her as she's on the ground. Sarah jumps up and tries to run. And that's when Matthew grabs a knife. It's funny because a lot of times in... These types of stories. You have people, and and really just the life in general. You have fighters. They say there's fight, flight, or freeze. You never know who you are until your life is tested. Most people imagine themselves as fighters, but you just don't know. And then there's fighters, and then there's warriors. He orders Sarah to get on the ground. She won't do it. She's getting back up as he's holding this knife. Now, he tells police later he was just trying to scare her. He was going to hold her at knife point until the boyfriend came home. And then he was going to make her confess what she had said. But that's not the way things play out here. Because Sarah won't stay on the ground. She's really thinking the worst, honestly. Someone with a knife is telling you, they've already attacked you, telling you to get on the ground, get on the ground. You're not thinking, oh, he's just going to keep me at knife point for eight hours until my boyfriend gets off work. You don't know what's going to happen. She starts to get up. He's still yelling at her. Stay down. Stay down. They start fighting. 
And of course, he has a knife. So he has the advantage. He begins stabbing her over and over. He stabs her so many times so violently that the handle breaks from the knife. So now he's just holding a broken handle. And there's a knife blade sticking out of Sarah. And she looks at him. She pulls the blade out of her. And begins stabbing Matthew. Begins slashing at him. Cutting his hands. Cutting his arms. Cutting his face. He's in a defensive posture now. He's holding his hands up. She's bleeding profusely. And the blade that had previously been buried in her own body. She's now turned into a weapon against her attacker. A warrior. But unfortunately. The hero wouldn't win this battle. She had already been stabbed multiple times. She was bleeding very badly. And although she was able to cut this horrible evil man up, he was able to overpower her, get her to the ground, and eventually suffocated her until she was dead. Once she dies, like he, Matthew says, I know the moment she died. Because then, so Zuto's voice was in my head and it said, You're mine now. And Matthew was empty. He was no longer possessed. He felt the demon leave his body. And now he's looking at a dead woman on the floor in front of him. Panic sets in, obviously. He tries to dispose of the body. He goes, oh, I'm going to throw it in the garbage can. Puts it in a garbage can. The garbage can breaks. It's like a big bin. He's trying to clean up blood. He can't do it. He goes, I'm just going to set the house on fire. So he starts pouring gasoline everywhere. And before he even thinks about lighting it, he's pouring gasoline everywhere. Then he's looking for a way to light it. All of a sudden, the room explodes in flames, which he rationalizes as the demon coming back one more time to help him clean up the crime scene. Matthew leaves the crime scene. And at first, investigators think that it was a horrible accident, that the house burned down and she died. She She succumbed to the smoke. But then it didn't take him long to realize, oh, there's gasoline everywhere. This wasn't an accident. That same day, he gets fired from his job and then steals a car from his job and goes on the run. What's funny is, like, they weren't really suspecting anyone. They noticed that there was gasoline, but they didn't put two and two together. They were actually looking for him because he stole the car. They catch him on June 3rd in Minnesota. And when he gets arrested, he tells the cops, I will not say a word. Not confessing to anything until there's a priest in this room and I get exorcised. Cops look at each other. What? Over car theft? Like, what's going on? Now, there's no word to whether he got the exorcism. There's no detail whether or not the priest actually came. But he did actually end up confessing to this crime. Tells the story about the demon in the mirror. He actually uses the quotes that said Sarah was bogus and that. And that, a quote, trying to screw your boy over. Those were actual quotes that the demon was saying. He pleads insanity. He says the demon made him do it. Then he changes his plea to guilty. He was hoping at some point, he pled guilty because he was hoping that he wouldn't spend life in prison, that he'd have a chance of doing parole. And they said, if you want to plead guilty, if you want to have the possibility of parole, you have to admit you did it. And the demon story was totally made up. And he goes, I did it. The demon story was totally made up. He got life in prison, no parole. The judge of the case 
said that this trial gave him nightmares, terrified him. He deserved to be locked up, never have a chance to get out. I find this story super fascinating on so many levels. This story I'd actually remembered from 15 years ago, but I didn't remember enough of the details. I, every so often I'd try to Google it and find it, pull it up. But I never remembered enough of the details. You type in like demon possession murder. There's, that happens a lot. It happens a lot or a link me to a movie or something like that. I found this story in my new news folder, which longtime listeners of the show know that I have a folder of articles I saved back from 2004, 2005 for another podcast I was doing. And then I stopped doing that podcast and I had lost track of this folder. I found it again and I have all these old articles. This was one of them. And I was so happy because I love this story. They're so, it's a typical true crime story in the fact that you have a, a brutal man murdering a victim. A young woman, she was starting her life off. You have this idiot taking her life. Then you have the added thing about this demonic link to it. But this, there's so many other, I remember when this story came out, I had the conversation with Steve and I go, like, did he, was she confessing her love? Like, if he hadn't gone bonkers, would this gone another way? That she was confessing his love. Which I think, again, adds that other horrible layer. Like, you imagine this girl finally getting up the nerve to tell a guy that she likes him. And then the next thing you know, he comes out of the bathroom and punches her right in the eye. Now, it's possible that that's a subtext that that's not true. But even then, just hanging out with your friend and saying, hey, I'm thinking about leaving somebody, and then that person coming out and assaulting you is bad enough. Then there's the, and this is the other really weird concept I had involving this story. It's kind of a thought experiment. I remember I was talking to my little brother about this, because again, this story really engaged me when I was back 15 years ago. I was. Would have been what? Like, I can't really do math. 28? Something like that? I don't remember. 27? I remember reading this story and being like, oh, this is fascinating. You have the true crime element. You have the demonic element. Did he, Was the demon real? Was it a way to plead insanity? Was it somewhere in between? Who knows? But here's my question. And th- this is, this is I want to see what you guys think, too. So I, you, I've told you that story. He looks in the mirror. He sees the demon. What did the demon look like? No, I'm not asking, did it have horns? Did you picture, like, horns or red skin? Or was it face all wrinkly like the Wishmaster or what? Or was it just Matthew's reflection, but he had, like, a goatee and, like, angry eyebrows? I'm not talking about that. This is what trips me out about this. This guy looks in the mirror, he sees a demon. What did it look like? Was it CGI? Did it look like a CGI demon? (sighs) Super detailed. Did it look like a man in a rubber mask? Like, uh, almost like a Power Ranger type mask, a monstrous face, but you can almost tell that it's like rubbery. Did it look like a human, but slightly deformed, like a vampire from Buffy the Vampire Slayer? You're like, Jason, you're just naming all... Think about it, though. If a demon appeared in your bedroom right now, or the backseat of your car as you're driving onto the road, or in your summoning circle, because you listen to the podcast while you bring forth the dark old ones, what do they look like? Again, I'm not asking about the visual. I'm asking about the origin or the material they will be made of. It trips me out because I said in my story where I said, like, I saw the demon clown driving the car. That was on the, if you're like, whoa, whoa, I don't remember that episode. That was in the episode, The Demons Surround Us, about demonic possession. This clown, this demonic clown was driving through the neighborhood I was in. And I said I could almost see the musculature of this face moving. It seemed very realistic, but at the same time, there was something phony about it. My mind was telling me something's not right there. 
So if you're looking in the mirror and you see a demon, I honestly, what I picture is I picture really bad Power Ranger makeup. Or close to the Wishmaster being like, she's bogus! Or like Faust, that superhero movie. I imagine it like really bad, like 1990. Well, actually, that was top of the line special effects back then, but you know what I mean? Kind of cheesy Power Ranger monster makeup. Looking at him. But you could also go, it could easily have been like a CGI monster. And I know you might be thinking, Jason, that's your takeaway on this horrible true crime story. Yeah, yeah, it kind of is. I mean, I like the fact that she was able to fight back and slash this little punk up. But I find it interesting that someone could look into the mirror and see this demon. And it opens up a whole gateway as far as what he saw. Other than, like, not just what he saw as the demon, but what was it made out of? How was the... Does it look just like a human with a monstrous face? I don't know. And I want to address this, too. The the place igniting. He says he's pouring gasoline before he even lit it on fire to ignite it. That's actually scientifically... Play, en- enough gasoline spread about an area, can in- it can just combust. The fumes, it's some sort of interaction thing. Like, if you take oily rags and keep them in the garage fire will like start in a bucket of oily rags these things will happen so i don't think that it points i think that actually happened but it's not a supernatural answer i will say this though let's say this demon was kind of lurking around matthew it was starting to influence him first off stop doing drugs at that point if you're like oh man whenever i get stoned a demon shows up i know i'm just going to keep getting stoned you know you probably stay off the weed at that point but let's assume the story his story is true that he was being stalked by this demon I think it's interesting, the demon basically took him over, possessed him, attacked Sarah, killed Sarah, and then says, you're mine now, and disappears. Was the demon trying to remove Matthew from the playing board? Was Matthew supposed to be someone special? And the demon targeted him, singled him out, got him thrown in prison for the rest of his life? How close was Matthew already to being pushed? Obviously, if I, I don't smoke weed, but if I was smoking weed and I looked in my mirror, there's a demon floating around in it. And it tries to possess me. I'm gonna be like, no, I'm out. Like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna walk away slowly. It's, I, I don't. I think you kind of have to open yourself up to that. One, also, <laughs> being stoned and staring in the mirror probably is not a good way to not get possessed. But could it? Could a, a nor uh, say a normal guy happen to be walking by the house at that time? And Suzuto is like leaving the mirror. He's like, oh, no, this guy sucks. Bye, Matthew. He's like, no, no, come back. He crawls out the window. Could the demon have possessed anyone? Or was the fact that Balls, Balls Arena was already so stoned and already so angry and kind of lost and was trying to like find a new life? Is that what made the demon target him out? How long was this demon stalking him? Did it have a connection to the weed? Had he been stone sober? Could, would any of this happened? Who knows? Who absolutely knows? I, you're mine now, is what the demon says. This guy's basically in prison for the rest of his life. Was Matthew, did he have a destiny that was going to take him somewhere? And this demon tipped up the board game and removed a powerful piece and had him thrown in prison. Who knows? Why the demon singled him out? Who knows? Who knows? There's so many questions about this story. And then you have the fact of this kick-ass chick. I, I mean, again, I've been in a f- couple fights in my life. I've never pulled a knife out of my own body and began stabbing someone with it. That's some... If you saw that in a movie, you would think that was made up. But she was determined to live. On an equal footing, had he come out of that bathroom and she was in a fighter's pose, this this dude would have been dusted. Demon or not, it would have been two on one. Sarah could have taken him out. The whole story's fascinating to me. 
And it's that perfect intersection of true crime and the paranormal, which is something I talked about 400 episodes ago. I think they intersect more often than we'd like to hope. Because it's one thing if you're getting mugged in a dark alley, guy has a gun to you, give me all your money. But it's something totally different if you're woke up in the middle of the night, someone smashed in your front door, you jump out of bed, and you see a man standing in your pitch black living room. And even though barely any light is penetrating through the drapes, you see something darker than black standing behind the man. You're not just being robbed. You're not just being attacked by one man. You have to face down this criminal and the demon in control of him. In that moment, are you a warrior or are you a victim? DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Episode 400, baby. (laughs) Have a great one, guys. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.